All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, I am here with Rich, who draws upon 20 plus years of experience as a Navy SEAL officer, where he completed more than 13 overseas deployments. Through his career, he has achieved multiple leadership positions to include the commanding officer of a Navy SEAL command. Through years of observation, Rich learned to identify the successful attributes of Navy SEAL recruits. He compiled these attributes along with the supporting neuroscience in his book, The Attributes, 25 Hidden Attributes of Optimal Performance. And I'm ecstatic to have this conversation. Welcome. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, we were just, I was just chatting with you before we hit record and uh, as it would, I mean, you've been kind of part of my morning fitness uh, routine, just given so, some of the shows you've been on the past, like Rich Roll and, and Tom Bilyeu and whatnot. So... I'm excited to have you on this show is the, the everyone, all hosts take things in different directions, right? So I can't, I naturally, I'm like, oh, I, I want to ask this. So here we are, <laughs> yep. ready to go. But before we get in to your work and the book, I always start just to, uh, to try to understand who the person is. And I, I ask the same question and, and that is just, you know, who are you or, or how do you define yourself as we speak today? Cause I know that yeah. evolves. Yeah. Boy, well, what a great question. Um, and a, and a deep one, I think. I mean, uh, I define myself primarily as a husband and father. That's, that's my primary identity. Um, and, uh, and then from that, I, you know, of course, uh, now I'm a veteran, you know, and a former Navy SEAL. I'm very proud of that identity. However, obviously, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's come and gone. So I've, it's on the shelf in a place of honor. Um, so now I'm, an, I'm really an author and someone who is, is really interested in, in dissecting uh, human performance and human behavior to a okay. level that allows us to kind of uh, translate it and ubiquitize it across multiple contexts. You know, so in other words, how does how can I take my lessons from being a Navy SEAL at this at this level and specificity of performance um, and take it and and articulate it in a way that the the mom can use it or the student can use it or the, or the teenager yeah. can use it. That's really my interest and, and kind of the impetus of some of the, at least the initial concepts so, that I talk about in the book. How, how's the, how's the transition? Like how was that transition from being active to, as you said, you know, now an author and, and working with people specifically with these principles? Well, you know, it's, it's different for everybody. And I think, uh, I think in my case, the advantage, one of the advantages I had was I was ready for it. You know, I was, I was ready sure. to move on. I had uh, spent over 20 years. I had deployed, I mean, tons of times and been, and spent a lot of time away from the family. And so for me, and, and, and I had reached a position in my career and rank that, that the jobs ahead of me weren't especially exciting, uh, okay. uh for me. And so, uh, and so it just, it was a very, it was, it was natural decision for me and, and, and I was ready. Now, that being said, it's, it's different. I think, I think one of the things veterans experience the most is the sense of isolation because you, in the military, you're just, you always have this kind of net of support and, and network of people who are in the same kind of life that you are, but you don't yeah, have get to worry it. about medical or dental or, or even uniforms for that matter. I mean, you just don't, there's a lot of stuff you don't have to worry about. And then, and, and, and there's a lot of predictability that comes from being in the military. And I think most, most transitioning veterans 
uh, get a little shell are a little shell shocked, as was I, in terms of okay, wait a second, now I'm I'm on my own here. This is like I'm <laughs> by my, I'm, by, I'm by myself. There's you know there's you know certainly after 20 years you get an, a retirement paycheck, but you're not getting the same paycheck, right? So now you have to go and and yeah. earn your money in a different way and um and make do and find your own you know you know medical and find your own dentists and you know i don't know it's yeah. just a, it's a weird world so i think that's probably the biggest challenge and, and certainly was a the biggest adjustment for me uh but again i think if you have a solid family foundation who was who who are also ready <laughs> yeah yeah that's a key point <laughs> yeah that, that they um <laughs> they they provide a, a great a great uh buttress of support right so yeah well, I mean, I remember when, because uh, I spent about nine or 10 years in the, in the corporate world and, and left, uh, kind of long story short, create a, uh, a journaling app, a digital journaling app and, and whatnot, and kind of have never looked back since. That's where this podcast came from originally. Um, but I remember just, you know, when you're out of the, that world, uh, things become really obvious. Like, all, like you said, like the benefits and the health insurance right. and things yeah. like that. And like, holy smokes. Yeah, I, I, I took some of that stuff for granted. And, and I mean, it's, it's not, uh, you know, there are many other benefits, but you start, once you're out of the situation, you really start realizing, uh, some of these, these benefits, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those things, like you said, that you take for granted and they're not really big or, or necessarily serious. It's just adjustments you have to make, right? Yeah, exactly. And when, so when, were you always tuned in or interested into, uh, in, you probably weren't calling them attributes at that time, but I'm thinking like when, before you started your career in the Navy, like, were you always interested in, in mental performance or, you know, self-awareness, like some of these type of, of, of skills and, and attributes, were you surrounded by that at all? Or is this well, all kind of come through the training in, in military? Yeah, there's certainly been an evolution that's been involved, but I would say I was, uh, even in high school, I began to get really fascinated with the kind of the power of our own our own brain and subconscious. I kind of, I really kind of got into for a while law of attraction stuff and and the power of the subconscious mind and, yeah. and, um, and did a lot of deep diving into that as much as I could. But then really, because I'm a skeptic by nature, wanted to figure out, okay, what's, what's happening neuroscientifically, neuroscientifically when this stuff goes yeah. on. Um, but in addition to that, I was also, and this is, again, I, this only comes from being able to autopsy it, later on, um, sure. I was, I, 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 I realized I was someone who consistently placed myself into positions of discomfort, um, and challenge and, and surrounded myself with people who were, who were better than me, at least in that, in that context. And, and what that allowed me to do is really just try to try to kind of, you know, live up or, 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 or step up or, 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 you know, kind of, you know, learn and grow in a way okay. that, that, you know, that, I wouldn't otherwise have if I hadn't yeah. been surrounded by those people. And then, and then especially, it especially became clear going to SEAL training because, you know, I, you know, I just, I was really very, very much an average kid. I had an average upbringing. I had an average, I had average grades. I was an average athlete. You know, there's nothing particularly special about me. I wanted to go to the Naval Academy, but I didn't have good enough grades, you know, so th that wasn't happening. <laughs> you know, okay. So, um, so getting to, uh, getting to, a level or even just the beaches of buds training, basic underwater demolition seal training, where you're surrounded by these guys. Um, and then starting to move through that and realizing as people are dropping off like flies that you're still there. Uh, yeah. I really began to ask myself, man, and I looked around and I mean, I'm, I'm just surrounded by superheroes right now. Um, how did I get here? You know, what, what is it about me that allowed me to get here? And then realizing that actually those guys were saying the same thing about themselves. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know? 
Um, but uh, but I think it it you know realizing that it's a it it was somewhat habitual to kind of just test myself and to seek those ed- edges and um, and then of course as I got more senior in the in the teams and made a bunch of deployments and, and experienced combat but then really started running training and having to uh, look deeply at this stuff then I began to say okay now I need to articulate it now I need to actually. I need to be the one to figure out why, because there's no books I can read about this. And, and I, that became a very, very fascinating, exciting venture for me and was really yeah. the impetus of uh, the Attributes book, um, which, you know, which came across, came about after retirement. And when I saw that there was a, there was the same, the same types of questions and problems happening in the civilian world for businesses and organizations. And I said to myself, man, I mean, someone, someone could write a book about this. And I said, maybe I will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, Damn and, straight. So, and so it goes. I wanted to ask you about because you said, you know, uh, how did I get here? And you think that there's there's probably a lot of people probably standing in the, that frigid water uh, thinking the same thing. I mean, that's the one that stereotypically I think a lot of us default to. And I know there's a hell of a lot more to it. But what did you answer? You know, like what were what were the answers to that question? And, and I guess how did they help you through continue in your, your yeah. career? Well, I, th- I think the answers begin to emerge because when you ask that type of question, you... You force your you force your brain to start coming up with commonalities between each other. Um, yeah. And so you, so you're you're basically asking, okay, what what do I have in common with these people that allowed all of us to get through that? And so that's the I think those are the those are the seeds really that plant that are planted in your brain to begin to answer those questions. I, and I don't think the answers. In fact, I know the answers didn't come immediately. I think I just planted those seeds, and then really it was when I was running this very specialized training and assessment course. And I was, uh, and it was now my job to articulate it because we were, we had okay. to, we had to, we were in a position at this particular course, you know, this was not the basic SEAL training course. This is a course that it was a specialized command. So we were getting, we were getting experienced SEALs coming to us and going through our own selection process. And we we're getting about a 50% attrition rate, uh, to be a part of this thing. And, um, and we were, we were unable to effectively, articulate why guys were failing because these were obviously experienced dudes you know there were there yeah. were dudes who were, who were pretty darn good seals so why were they failing um that uh that question was posed to me as i took over training and certainly one of interest and so i began to say okay well there has to be something here and that's when i began to separate skills from attributes these innate qualities and then began to ask myself okay if it is not just skill if it's these innate qualities the attributes what are the yet what are the attributes we're actually looking for in this context and okay. that really allowed me to think deep, more deeply and of course, I learned so much um, coming out of the Navy and beginning to work on the book because my, my goal for the book was not to write a, a book about SEALs. So the book is not about SEALs. It's not about super performers. It's, about, it's actually about the individual who reads it, right? Um, yeah. It's about the reader. And I wanted to say, okay, how can I take these attributes and talk about in the way that, that we make them human and make the reader start to ask, okay, how does this relate to me and where do I show up with these things? Um, and so that was a really fun thing to do. And my discovery process during the writing process was was profound and really exciting. That's one of the best, that's one of the parts of writing I love I love the most was was the discovery process that I experienced while writing. And I'm sure as someone who yeah. who's who's a writer as well, you probably you probably echo that that sentiment. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I, I I couldn't agree more because I, I feel like I would say from my side, maybe halfway through writing my book, that's when the actual structure or the parts of the book actually came to life. And I realized as mine is filled with a, with a whole bunch of profiles on 
uh, people that are are still here today, but also you know legends for the past like Picasso and Maya Angelou and and whatnot. And whenever and I wasn't doing this subconsciously, but whenever I try to short circuit the the the, the, the sections in the book that weren't there yet, which was, you know, first get clear, then be intentional, and then, you know, expanded possibility comes to fruition. Whenever I would not follow that process, trying to outline a, a profile and write and stuff, it was just a disaster or it was so painful. And I yeah, remember yeah. finally, I'm like, this has to be, <laughs> this has got to be the structure of the book because this is actually what works. And yeah. then all the other mental fitness, you know, things that you're sharing now already, um, all of that training, you know, started to come up. So, right. right. Well, it's interesting you should say that because I think uh, people talk about you know writing styles and things like that, and and I think part of that it's an important it's an important endeavor to kind of discover your own writing style and what are those things that that kind of click you into the whether it's a yeah. flow state in writing or not, but that at least click you into the process. Um, and so you have to find those for yourselves. And for me, it was get up early in the morning. And I, I'm not, I actually work better in the morning anyway. I'm not someone yeah. who likes to get up at like four in the morning because I, I generally like to get up as the sun's coming up. However, sure. I would get up early, like four and, um, and go to my office and, um, and just basically sit in front of my computer. And sometimes it was a blank cursor just yeah. blinking at me. I could um, see it. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, but I realized, and I recognize if I just started writing something, you know, it would begin to kick in a, process of kind of discovery. So, and, and, and I'd usually be able to in a, a couple hours get, you know, a few thousand words down and then yeah. that would be something I could then work with for the rest of the day in terms of editing and maneuvering and things like that. And so that became a pretty good routine. And like you said, if I, the times where I didn't kind of do that and tried to come, tried to kind of attack it from outside that routine didn't necessarily, they usually end in frustration. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's stay on the process a bit. Um, what what other thing? Because I I find I found the whole process being, you know, a, a list of different like basically plain mental gymnastics to get you know, uh, to to get the book to a final draft. And I mean, I enjoyed it, but at the same time, it's just like anything ups and downs and tons of questions. Like, is why why am I doing this? Is is anyone going to read this? And you, you know, just yeah. all the self doubt, right? I think was probably the the theme of it. How do you feel? How do you feel the content in your book, and then obviously your your training for the last twenty plus years actually helped you write it? Well, I um I knew you know well first of all I, I guess I'm pretty I'm pretty resolute <laughs> when I <laughs> when I have an outcome, um and when there's an editor who wants a manuscript at a certain point that helps too right but yeah. um but I think it was a, a it was an interest I think you said something that that is is um poignant and, and, and related relates to me in the process is that I, the structure began to emerge as I wrote. And once the structure began to emerge, that actually eased the process a little bit because, because then I could look at it in chunks and I say, okay, today. And so for me, I mean, the book is, is separated. I mean, there's some intro stuff, but then I basically talk about the attributes that's when I go through it. Yeah. It's basically a chapter per attribute. And so that was really a good structure for me. So I said, okay, today I'm going to write about adaptability. And, and that was my, my project for the day. Um, but then I, I, I recognized and realized that I, I needed to have some story in there, uh, something that, that grabbed the reader and brought the reader through uh, some sort of journey of information. Um, because I had the information, and typically I'm someone who I'll write a lot of the content and the data stuff very easily. Yeah. 
but then that's all it is. And so I, I realized pretty early on that I needed to, to come up with some sort of story and example, start there and then, um, and then, and then bring in the, the content data. And I actually worked with a writer, a great guy named Sean Flynn, who helped me so much with the structure and flow. What he taught me was I was typically like, okay, story, then, then data, right. Or story, yeah. then content. Um, and he taught me how to begin to weave stories throughout, right? So you basically interplay them. So maybe you start with some story and then you, you weave in some content, then you go back and then you weave. And that really, man, that's how, that's how, that's how reading flow happens. You know, it's yeah. just someone doesn't get, get sick and they don't get tired of reading. And so he taught me so much and helped me so much in that endeavor. Um, and so I think it was a combination of those, uh, of those little um, hacks to get my brain ready to go. And then, and then understanding where my, I was most productive, which was morning. I'm most creative in the morning hours. Um, so that if I got some creative stuff done in the morning hours, then I was actually pretty good in the later of the day, you know, the, the daytime hours to do some editing, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. But definitely also make sure after I would make sure after I wrote something, I would then, I'd do a little bit of editing, but I'd just put it away. I'd let leave it, it sit a bit. Yeah. yeah. Because, and sometimes I'd let it sit overnight, you know, but um, just because I, you know. So it would typically be a chapter. I could I, in my in my fastest. I was knocking out about a chapter every couple of days, um, yeah. because I'd I write I'd write it in the I'd kind of do the the initial burst in the morning. I'd spend the day with some a little bit of editing. I'd wait overnight, and then the next day, I'd kind of re-edit it and relook at it and use that whole day to kind of chop it to where I wanted it to be. And yeah. that would be, you know, that's kind of okay. That's at least a first draft. Uh, so that's kind of how it works. Okay. Well, I think that's a, I mean, in general, there's a couple things that I see as, uh, let's say, common common elements or themes. One, I mean, the morning, it, it, I know that, you know, anyone listening that isn't a morning person, you're probably like, oh, yeah, another, you know, another person talking about the morning. But statistically speaking, I, I, I want to go almost on record and say 80 plus percent. Of, of all of these type of scenarios, if you're getting up early and whatever you define what early is, you're, I, I just feel you're setting yourself up for success in that case. And, I, I agree with that. Although we will recognize the 20%, and I don't know what that, and maybe it's more, but there are people, my wife's one of these people, who she at 8 p.m., at 9 p.m., her creative light just clicks on, and she can okay. go until 1 or 2 a.m. And I've actually, I've actually read of some folks, some authors who they actually do their writing, they start writing at like 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. and they write yeah. till two or three in the morning, which is insane to me. I just like, I couldn't even imagine it. But that's yeah. when they're, that's when their creative time clicks in. So, so it's really very much about uh, understanding your own process and, and, and respecting that process. Uh, because, totally. uh, because that's where you'll get your best stuff. Um, yeah. And I think for you and me, and I, I agree, I, I would, I would imagine the higher percentage of people the best creativity is the morning after you've rested because that's when you're, yeah. you're, you're, your energy is fully at, at, at peak. And then you're kind of like in this peak state. But again, there's people I know who, man, oh, they're, yeah. they're, they're kind of uh, a mess in the morning, but you, you, and they don't want to do anything. And then, but by 10 PM, man, they're, they're clicked in. And when I'm you and like, I are going no to bed. <laughs> I mean, I, I, for me, it's like 6 PM by 6 PM. You know, it, I, I, I typically don't even, well, I would even say 5 PM. By 5 or 6 p.m., I don't want to do anything creative. You know, that's yeah. I'm done. You know, now I can still do some work, you know, yeah. but, but but creating stuff, I'm just like, no, I'm, I'll wait till I'll wait till the morning. So totally. Yeah, I uh, reserve the the morning for for uh, creative type thinking and writing stuff like that. And usually the afternoon is more where, you know, there's just meetings or things that right. don't require a ton of brain power. I, I think and, and as you're giving the example of kind of some of the night owls, like 
Tim Ferriss comes to mind. I know he talks a lot about that writing his books. I think, though, the common element to, to both scenarios is that early morning or late in the evening, uh, like the, the commonality is the fact that the distractions are low. Oh, totally. Right. Totally. Like that's yeah. where, again, like kind of, I think, you know, we can set ourselves up for success in, in that case. And the, the thing I like about the morning is that you've like, you've already won the day in, yes. in a way. Right. Yeah. It, you yeah, you kind of eat the frog, which is the, you know, which yeah. is do, the, do the hard stuff first. But yeah, I, I remember, I can't remember her name, but she was a famous author who I saw her on, a, I think it was just an advertiser for one of the master classes on writing. And the, the one thing she said in this ad was the enemy of all creativity is distraction. Um, and that is so true because, you know, and I would be like, it, I would sometimes get in these writing flow states, I would call them, um, where I was, I was coming up with so much stuff, like right? my brain was moving so fast that I'd keep a notebook next to my computer because if I had an idea that was like separate or I didn't, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't type it right away. I'd quickly jot it down. So I wouldn't forget it because if I, if I didn't do it right away and I stayed in the, what I was doing, I would forget it. But if I, if I didn't stay in what I was doing, I would lose the flow, right? So I, I, it's just, it's cool when you can have those moments, but one of the things you absolutely can't have are the distractions, you know, yeah. the emails, the phones, the, the kids, all that stuff, so. Totally, totally. We should probably talk about the difference between a skill and an attribute. Okay, yeah, let's, uh, yeah, so, um, you know, and, and again, the, the distinction came from my, the, the, the requirement and desire for me to um, articulate why some guys were making it through this training and why some guys weren't making it through. Um, because we were using excuses when we were telling them why they didn't make it through that were very skills-based. Well, the guy couldn't shoot very well. He couldn't do certain yeah. things in the, in the, you know, the shoot house, whatever it was. Um, but they didn't make sense because <clears throat> these were experienced SEALs, right? So they obviously had done this stuff hundreds and hundreds of, you know, they had hundreds of hours doing this stuff. So, um, so really what it, <clears throat> it required me to do is, is separate is distinguish the two. So a skill is when it comes to performance, a skill is a, uh, it's, they're not inherent to our nature, right? <clears throat> no one else is, none of us are born with the ability to ride a bike or throw a ball or in a seal case, shoot a gun. We, we're, we, we train, we're taught to do those things and we train to do those things. Skills also direct our behavior in known and specific environments, right? This is this is how and when to shoot a gun. This is how and when to ride a bike or how and when to, to drive a car. And then because they are visible and kind of tangible, they're very easy to assess, measure, and test. You can see how well anybody does any one of those things. Um, you can keep scores and stats and figures. Uh, this is why a lot of um, hiring folks, people building teams or people who are actually in the hiring process they get seduced by skills because they're very visible, right? And you can write yeah. them on a resume and you can see them on a sales stat and you can, you can see the numbers, right? So we get seduced by these, these people who are the best based on numbers. The problem with skills is they don't tell us how we're going to show up um, in challenge, stress, and uncertainty when the environment becomes unknown. Um, this is where we start to lean on attributes. Attributes are, on the other hand, innate, okay? All of us are born with levels of situational awareness, patience, adaptability, resilience, um, now they certainly develop over time, but you can see actually levels of these things in small children. They also inform our behavior in, in environments rather than direct it. Okay. Um, your and my, or even my son's levels of resilience and perseverance, for example, uh, inform the way he showed up when he was learning how to ride a bike, learning that okay. skill of riding a bike. And he fell off a dozen times doing so, you know, that's it. So it informs the way we show up. 
And then because they're hidden in the background, they're very hard to assess, measure, and test. It's hard to sit across the table from someone in an interview process, for example, and assess how patient they are or how adaptable they are or how resilient. The times that these things show up, the most visibly and the most viscerally are during times of challenge, uncertainty, and stress, which is what made the laboratory I had so perfect because everything about SEAL training, whether it's basic SEAL training or the stuff I was running, is all about throwing guys into challenge, uncertainty, and stress. So attributes come to the fore in those times, right? Um, and so, uh, and so this is why we have to start thinking about attributes in, in, in terms of the way they inform our behavior. Um, if we want to know why certain environments, um, feel very uncomfortable for us, uh, or why we can't, we, it seems like it's hard to perform in, in one environment, whereas another environment you're actually, oh, actually that was pretty easy. We actually need, especially in uncertainty, we need to understand attributes, not just skills. Um, and so the book really outlines the 25 that I kind of uh, examined, there's there's more than 25, of course, but this is kind of a good uh, beginner's list. <laughs> yeah, of, yeah. like of how did you come to these? Well, what I did was what I, I took, actually, I, I started with the, the list of attributes that I created when I was running the SEAL training that I was doing, right? Started, and, that, and that list was about 36. And I said to myself, okay, well, I can't use this list because this is for a very specific context. Yeah. But let me just see what could what I could pull out and relate to just everyday life. And I so I so I I did that. I pared that down to roughly 20. Well, I guess I got down to, you know, in the 20s somewhere and it kind of oscillated a little while for a little bit and then just looked for synonyms and and things like that. What which ones and what words what 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 words fit uh better than others and then use that. Um and then sure. of course and then just st- started writing the book. In fact, I think when I started writing the book, I had around 30. And then okay. in the process of writing the book, um, and I didn't have them broken into categories either. So in the process of the book, the category stuff began to really, they, they began to clump pretty nicely. And yeah. I also began to realize, okay, this attribute that I was going to write about really is, it's really this, or it's a piece of this, right? Some of the attributes that, that the reader will read about are actually, are actually, I'll describe as, hey, this, this particular attribute is actually a combination of three, two or three more elemental attributes, you know, yeah. which on their own are quite inert, um, but uh, but together form this this actually kind of super attribute. So so that's kind of the yeah. process. Well, and you have to, I think what I'm hearing too, and and I experienced this as well. It's it, it's just a great lesson in just getting started, right? Like in right. letting the process, and you, like in your, in your case, the writing and, and the thinking. Like now, all of a sudden, things become more and more clear, and other uh, you can call them opportunities or uh, paths start to to merge right yeah yeah well it's 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 kind of just from a neurological level okay from a neurological standpoint it makes sense because what's happening is we're when we're when we have these ideas swimming around in our head um just writing them down allows us to let them go which yeah. makes which makes room for more ideas <laughs> you know it's, yeah. it's a, because it, constantly we all know this we come up with a great idea it's like okay i can't forget that i can't forget that. like well that that is a it's cool because we don't want to forget it, but it's also blocking anything else that's coming in, you know, yeah. or, 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 or as much as, or as much that could come in. Right. So, so when you, when you get it down and you see it, you're like, okay, it's down there. Okay. Now what's coming in, how does this make sense? And, and reading it back and, and kind of doing that, that diligence helps with that creative process. Certainly. Totally. I think what, what I often think about is just to, to draw in the physical world as well, because we can see it and it's a little bit easier to, to, to relate with right away, but it's just, it's, it's like doing spring cleaning in, in your home or keeping your office or your room clean. If we can do the same thing with our mind, you know, it's just easier to navigate because we, we, we have so many great 
ideas and so much knowledge, relationships, all the stuff that, you know, it's up here. Uh, we just need we need to be able to access that at the right yeah. time. Yeah. And yeah. there's blocks, right? There's like right. boxes or obstacles. So yeah, yeah, there's, it's, I mean, our brains automatically, our hippocampus, which is kind of the library in the, in the back of our head that stores everything, it categorizes everything anyway. I mean, it's a big library. And, yeah. um, and so like we, we recognize things and we make sense of the world because we, we drop things into categories. You know, when we see, yeah. when we see a maple, that, that immediately we have a category of being outside, being in nature, then a category of trees, then a category of type, type of tree. And we, we start to make those distinctions. That happens in milliseconds. And so, so a, a hack to mental spring cleaning is to just categorize stuff uh, for mm. ourselves. And I think writing, like the, the, writing this book helped me like massively categorize a bunch of stuff that was swimming around my head. <laughs> totally. so, so now I can access it even, even, even more easily, you know, which is cool. So, yeah. Well, I definitely, uh, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll take note of that uh, so I don't forget about it. But well, I want to go back to the, some of your, your mental fitness practices for yourself. But from the topic of the book right now, I'd, I'd love to cover, maybe just give a couple examples. Because, you know, some of them that really stuck with me, especially the, the first one, or sorry, in chapter four, uh, beware of the fearless leader. Uh, and that, you know, the whole idea of courage and whatnot is, I think this one is, is one that's often misunderstood, right? Of mm -hmm. like, we, well, we have sayings, you know, around the fearless leader as a good thing. And you're, right. you, you know, you're talking about this as, well, wait a second, there might be a flag there if that's the case. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why don't well, you explain a little bit? It's no accident that courage is the very first attribute that I, I talk about. It's, um, and it's, it's, and it's also the first attribute in the grit category, um, yeah. Because ultimately, it's the beginning of everything. We don't start talking about getting started. Courage yeah. is the way we. Courage is the way we get started, and um, and really, courage courage defined is the ability to step into our fear to 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 do something despite being afraid. Right, which is interesting because what that means also is that we can't access courage. Courage is in fact a circuit in the brain. You know, um, when we when when we start uh, feeling fear, our, our amygdala starts getting tickled and then it can move if it's if it's a heightened sense of stress and, and fear and anxiety it can move up to amygdala hijack that's like true that's like full-blown survival your frontal yeah. lobe goes offline and you're just acting you know um but most uh most of life doesn't thankfully uh, you know get to an amygdala hijack but in the case that the amygdala gets tickled where and again the amygdala is designed to sense threat um we began we uh we are we are given neurologically two choices and the, the choices are fight or flight and we know this because we've heard this now we've also heard freeze but but what they've discovered is freeze neurologically is really it's not its own circuit it's more of an oscillation between the two right it's, it's kind of you're, you're deciding which one to do um however when you um whether you decide to fight which is step into the fear or or flight you know retreat that's a, it's a different circuit that gets gets flipped in your brain yeah and when you do, when you decide to step into your fear to fight, it's that circuit, that courage, that's the courage circuit, that circuit basically flips, and you're actually given a dopamine reward for doing yeah. that. So, so our brain is saying, okay, hey, this is good. This keep keep doing this. Now, that's again, by evolutionary design, because we were designed as human beings to just to, to discover to explore to kind of to, to move out to find new shelter, find new food. Um, it's actually it's actually the, the very basic neurological factor that's caused us to go from cave dwellers to space explorers, right? Because we've mm. just, human beings have this, have this thing because our brains are actually in fact encouraging us to move into our fear, right? And so 
And so fear is designed to, but, but that, that said, fear is also designed to uh, allow us to effectively assess risk. Okay, because because we yeah. have to because we're designed we have to be able to say okay this is risky I need to basically protect myself because sometimes the better choice is to flee <laughs> you know, sometimes the better choice is, you know, it's never a good idea to run away or to, to fight a bear you should probably run away um, so I've always been I've always had a problem with the word fearless I always had a problem when they would people would describe Navy SEALs as fearless or anybody else as fearless for that matter because fearless is irresponsible you know fearless means you are ignoring the natural yeah. cues of risk. And that's, um, that's like the bulldog approach. And that's running in head first without thinking about it. And that will get you killed. And I had a, I had a, um, a senior leader when I was a junior officer who told me, he said, beware the fearless leader, that that leader will likely get you killed because that person is not assessing, assessing risk appropriately. Um, and, um, and that's not a good thing. So, so we need to yeah. look at fear for the positives, um, for what it is, why, why it exists. And then also be realistic about it and ask ourselves, okay, wait a second. Um, this is something I can actually and should move into. And if you do so, you will be rewarded neurologically. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, it, it sparks another question just around the idea of, you know, having that that heightened sense of awareness and observation, I imagine it is something that is is something that uh, is, is quite prominent, obviously, in 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 your training. Mm-hmm. But also I'm curious, how has how has that translated into your life now? Like, do you still do you still notice those uh, those attributes and whatnot? And is it like is it is it something that uh, you continue to work on? Yeah, I do. Uh, I do notice it. So that's the attribute. I, I distill that into one of the mental acuity attributes. That's situational awareness. You know, yeah. And situational awareness is basically how much are we noticing about our world? You know, um, of the eleven million bits of information that come into our systems every second through all five senses. And out of that, we only have about 2,500 that the, that our frontal lobe is can actually process. Um, and what are we noticing, you know? And so the, the, the more vigilant humans, the, the people who are higher on the situation awareness scale will notice things. And I was always a little bit more vigilant than the rest, right? So I just got it hyper-developed as a, as a Navy SEAL, but yeah, I'm the guy who walks around the, the, the city streets and I notice faces and I notice where the hands are and I notice dark alleys and I notice, you know, cars and, and lights and things. Um, the problem is, uh, and the problem can be for a lot of veterans, especially those who have served in war zones. Um, in a war zone, you are forced to be hyper vigilant. You're, you're. I mean, you're, yeah. you're on key all the time. I mean, you're kind of. That's that's how you have to be. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so it's quite common for someone to come home from that and not effectively be able to switch it off. Um, and and the problem with hyper vigilance, especially when it's kind of over the top. Is that it's it's actually enormously energy expending for the for, mm. the, for the for the nervous system and and can be and stressful you know can be yeah. can, can tip into stress and anxiety which means you're 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 inducing and encouraging cortisol uh, response all the time so okay. so hypervigilance is also what oftentimes leads to PTSD you know uh, where yeah. guys and gals can't can't turn it off uh, so so I have. Um, I've made deliberate efforts. I, I don't think I ever had too much of a problem flipping the switch, but I know that I've made deliberate efforts before to say to myself, okay, you know, if I'm walking the city streets, like, okay, I don't, I don't necessarily have to worry about the, the, the guy behind me, you know, who's, who's walking, you know, I can, I, <clears throat> I took a quick glance. It looks fine. I'm good. Right. I don't have to worry about that. So, um, and then turn some of that off and just, um, allow myself to relax a little bit. And that's, that's okay. important to do, uh, from a, from a recovery standpoint. Have you found, let, let's jump into some of your practices. Have you found any type of mental fitness or any other 
practices, let's just say, to to help calm that down? Because I, I mean, there's, I think it obviously probably links with uh, others as well that might just have a lot of thoughts running all the time and, and you know, task jumping and mm-hmm. all these, like there's so many different applications that I feel like uh, I imagine some of the the practices you have to calm this stuff down would apply to. Yeah, I mean, the first, <clears throat> one of the first uh, most obvious for me in terms of vigilance, in terms of hypervigilance, is just to ask myself some some better questions about what's going on in my world, right? I mean, when I'm in the, when I'm in, here in Virginia, walking around, I, I just, I have to say to myself, okay, there's not much I need to worry about, you know, there, you know, just based on, on consistency of environment, <laughs> you know, I, I don't have to worry about much. And I just remember that, like, I don't, I can, and of course, not having deployed for, for a long time helps, you know, yeah, reindoctrinate you into that, into that comfort zone. Um, but certainly coming back, I, you know, well, again, if you were good at it, which I, which there are guys who were good at it and I was, I, I was actually, I wasn't too bad at it. Then just coming home allows you to flip the switch a little bit. So, okay, now I'm, I mean, I mean, I'm just home. I, I'm good. I can relax. I know that this stuff that was going on over there is not going on here. So when yeah. I hear a loud noise, I don't have to, I don't have to, you know, freak out or, or, or be, be stressed about it. So, so I think some, okay. some positive reframing, um, and just for people to understand and ask themselves, okay, what is it? What, what are the actual dangers right now around here that I have to worry about? Um, yeah. and then, and then just in terms of mental fitness and just being able to recover and keep my, keep my brain more relaxed is I, you know, I try to, I try to just introspect a little bit more often. I mean, just be, be, be quiet with myself. And now I don't yeah. meditate very well. Um, and so meditation hasn't necessarily worked for me. Admittedly, I haven't tried all the, all the different genres of it. So I'm still working on that. Um, but for example, like running in the woods here in Virginia, where I live, that's a meditation for me because I, I do it without any music. Yeah, no, I don't you. time myself. I just, I'm by myself and, uh, I'm just with nature and I just, my brain just is just so relaxed. I'm just thinking, you know, and it's just awesome. So, so that's, that's its own meditation for me. Um, yeah. I love, you know, visualization. I love the, I don't know if you've ever tried the isolation pods, the float tanks. Um, I have uh, tried those. Yeah. I love so here's those. the thing with those rich on my side. And I know this, that I, I didn't give them a fair shot. So I went in with just such expectations. I feel oh, like, yeah. you know, I came about the, 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 the pods through, I don't know, probably a podcast or, or some sort of story where someone's like, I had this like transformational like a, yeah, yeah, experience, yeah. Like right? A psychedelic experience. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I tried it, you know, twice and I mean, I came out ultra relaxed and, right. and, and feeling pretty good, but I, I came out, you know, I want to almost say a little bit disappointed right. to my own doing, you know, yeah. because of my own doing. But yeah, t- tell me about your experience in them. Well, yeah, again, I, I, uh, and I've heard people who had, who've had uh, kind of trans, transformational, psychedelic-like experiences in those things. Um, and yeah. uh, I have never had any of those. But, um, but for me, I think I, I've always taken it for what it is. And that is, it's a sensory deprivation tank. It basically deprives you of as many senses as you possibly can. Because you're yeah. floating in this pitch black pod of, of you know, 90, 96 degree water. And, you, and you're butt naked. So, so you can't, there's nothing, you feel nothing. I mean, you feel like you're just floating in space. Yeah. Um, the darkness and so this, got and me. the darkness, and so right? really, what it does it, 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 is it, 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 it. So some people freak out because it immediately places you inside your head, you know, because there's nothing else there other than yeah. your head. So that's the next challenge, yeah. and I've had challenges in there. I've, I love it, but I, I have had challenges. I've had sessions where they haven't worked out very well because my I can't turn my brain off, and so I never really fully relax. But the times I can kind of turn my brain off and fully relax um, have been really cool. I mean, it just it's just again, it's almost like. Uh, 
it's just putting your putting your whole system into neutral for a while and it's it's almost uh, it's almost um as recovery inducing as sleep but you're not asleep and i've actually yeah. been guilty of falling asleep in those things too but but um <laughs> but it's kind of on the edge of conscious and subconscious you're kind of you're kind of in that zone and i like being in that zone and i've experimented with visualization in there and um and even pumped in some self-talk stuff because i because i i actually was looking at it when we were looking at it in the in the teams um as a tool for accelerated learning as well you know could you could you get into mm. this state in between conscious and unconscious and just pump in some information yeah, and prime your mind and prime your mind uh whether yeah. it be language or whether it even be just visualization of of, of specific skills that you want to you want to kind of improve upon because we know visualizing certain skills to a to a um accurate degree is just they've they've proven is just as good as practicing them in the physical environment so uh uh, so you can do, you can actually, you can actually buttress your training by just visualization, active visualization. So, so I tried that too, and I loved it. Okay, I'd love to. T- I mean, I'm a huge fan of, of visualization. I'm always interested to explore how other people are doing it as well. Like what, what works for you? Like you mentioned, you know, visualizing attributes, and and I'm assuming scenarios as well uh, in general. But like what. Uh, how do you how do you set that up? Like, what's your your flow into visualization? Well, I, I I typically it's never the same, and I typically need to have something that I intend upon in terms of what I want to visualize. So um uh so so you know for example I um I, at one point I remember I wanted to kind of practice my skydiving stuff right, and okay. I wanted to kind of work through that, and so I remember getting in there and saying okay I'm just gonna I'm just going to visualize visualize myself in the process of, you know, putting on my rig and, and then, and then getting on the ramp and then jumping off and my body position and the chute opens up and, and what, what, how's that feeling and what am I doing? And so, so I, I really, I explored different techniques. Admittedly, I don't have, I don't own a float tank. If I owned a float tank, I'd probably be in there every day and I'd probably be able to tell you some really well tested techniques. Sure. (laughs) But, um, but I would just offer, it's a very personal experience. And so, and, and we are, you know, again, this is the this is the probably the the blessing and curse of mental health and mental fitness is that it's highly subjective, um, yeah. and so so people will will listen to things and say, okay, that's cool, I want to do that, but and then they'll try and it's like, well, that didn't work for me. Uh, and it's because it's because you're you're set up differently than the person who was just talking about it. You need yeah. to you need to actually think about a bunch of different techniques and try a bunch of different te- techniques and then see what works for you. Um, yeah. because, uh, because it might not, um, work for you. So, so I think, uh, anybody who tries an isopod, first of all, lower expectations, because that's yeah, yeah. your, your problem, right? Um, <laughs> Guilty. you're probably not going to have a, uh, have a transformational experience the first time get in there and, and just first expectation should be just to feel how it feels, you know, just yeah. to feel that sense of nothingness, you know, totally. and then, and then, and then maybe move on to something else. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's all on the individual, I think. Yeah. Well, you're nailing a lot of, of what this podcast is all about. Cause I mean, my ultimate goal is, is really, and, and why I'm asking you detailed questions about your process is to just provide options to yeah. listeners on the other side. Cause I agree with you. I don't think, uh, mental fitness can be prescribed, uh, in, in any way, you know, like you said, I mean, med- I'm like you, meditation is not necessarily something that has really stuck mind you, I haven't done all the different practices. So, you know, I share your sentiment on that, but for other others, you know, 10 minutes every morning is, is, has been a life changer. So yeah, yeah. that's great. And 
you know, float tanks or visualization or breath work. Like there's just an endless amount of things that people could try. So yeah. I, for some people, it's exercise, yeah. you know, get up and, and yeah. do some exercise, right? I know for me, exercise is a great, is a great um, break for me mentally because I'm not, yeah. I'm just kind of working it out and, and there's activity sure. involved, right? And, I, and I, there's no stress and I'm not doing, I mean, other than stressing my muscles, but that's deliberate, but there's no like mental stress that I have to worry yeah. about anything else. So I'm just, I'm just working out. Um, and yeah. so there's, there's going to be a lot of joy in that too. Well, Rich, I mean, I feel like I could, you know, do a round two and three and do a full book review on each attribute because there's, there's obviously so much gold and, and awesome in your book. So first of all, congrats on uh, the release and all the work, as I know, that uh, went into getting it to, to this point. Um, and a bigger thanks for just dedicating your time and energy to helping others, individuals, businesses, uh, teams to, you know, really, really perform and, and be at the best that they can be at, at, at that moment and, and, and kind of push some of the boundaries and open their minds up to what's possible. It's, it's really exciting, the, the work that you're doing. Well, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for your support. And thank, thanks for those comments. It's, uh, it's certainly exciting to be able to have it out there and have it be resonating with people um, positively and, um, yeah. and have them confirm which w- confirm what was my goal, which is, Hey, when I read this book, it really allows me to think about me, which was the goal. Um, and, um, and so I appreciate that. Last question for you. What, what makes you smile each day? Uh, my family, my wife and kids. Yeah. 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 Bar none. That's the, the, they're my, they're my solid system and, 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 uh, and rock. So they, they're, they're awesome. Absolutely. I second that. Thank you so much. And I'll have all the links out in the show notes. If people want to check out the book and Rich in general, highly encourage it and be well, everyone. 